excuse me. Also, I have such like shopping anxiety that whenever I go into specs, I'm like, I have to get this as fast. Like, I don't know why, because it, I never used to shop when I was underage for alcohol to begin with, because I never had a fake ID. But for some reason, the idea of shopping for alcohol is still like, oh my God, people are going to think that I'm suspicious and I'm not supposed to be in here and they're going to think that my ID is fake and all this other stuff. I don't fucking know. Because you're wearing a mask? No. You're thinking I'm robbing them. I've always thought this since I turned 21. You stupid. Yeah. Mask consumption? M-A-S-K. I'm wearing a pink hat. I'm not masked. But it's a dummy. Dummy. Does it have a period? No. We could put one with a Sharpie. Just dot. That is unnecessary. Bitch, what the fuck? Bitch, what the fuck? What the fuck is that? Cindy. The car is down. The car. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> this is over 30 decibels. I've got 30 decibels. It's quite quiet, I think. I think I talked about it. Isn't that? How many? Hold on. What is the equivalent of 30 decibels? Let me look. Oh, wow. I'm in. Just know that my car's volume goes up to 30, and I assume one is a t- no. decibel. <laughs> What's the equiv? I can't spell. Equivalent to. Two third cup. Two thirds cup of sound. Thirty deci- decibel. What? What is the equivalent to thirty decibel sound like? That's, yep. Uh, f- whispering nearby. <laughs> <laughs> Forty decibels is quiet library sounds. Fifty decibels is a refrigerator running. Sixty decibels is an electric toothbrush. Tooth. Tooth. Did I say one that? Yep. What does seventy decibels sound like? Uh, Here, I'll mimic all of them, okay? Okay. Go. Living room music is 76 decibels. What is this, jazz? Smooth jazz? Scatting. That's poop. Wait, what is that song that Moira sings? I should have seen you coming. But you didn't seem to care. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Don't you do the finger wag, too? No, no, no. <laughs> a vacuum cleaner is 70 decibels. Ooh. Actually, that's quite quite like the middle. Are we recording? Yep. Oh, gosh. <laughs> You're getting a good old education right now. Garbage disposal is 80 decibels. <laughs> uh, we've got a freight train at 15 meters. <laughs> 50 meters? 15. Oh. Um... 15? 15 meters away. Oh. <laughs> what did you think that meant? I thought you were you went from mes- measuring by decibels to meters. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is 15 meters loud. What's the conversion of decibels to meters? Shh. You're speaking at like 30 <laughs> meters right now, and it's too loud. Stop. Oh, boy. Um, 90 is a power mower. Or a motorcycle at 25 feet. Oh. I don't know why some things are 25 are in feet and some things are in meters. This is weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Metrics is standard. This is weird. Uh, a very loud thunderclap or a chainsaw is 120 decibels. How loud is a um, fan, fan clock? clock? It does not. This is not for the gays. So, uh, if it was gay, it would be like <laughs> 30 decibel or uh, 150 decibels is. 
the queen screaming yes at the back of the evening. Yeah, honestly. Or the, the, yeah. the gay clubs at, at Riches. 100,000 100, decibels is the upstairs of the eagle. Honestly, I don't understand why the upstairs of the eagle is so loud. Anyways, we, got off, we started off real weird here. Hey, everyone, it's Chris and Spencer. Tanya. Ta- yeah. Just hanging out on our spoopy podcast. That's our spoopy Tanya podcast at rspoopypodcast.com. Our spoopy podcast on Instagram.com. Our spoopy on Twitter. Our spoop on Facebook. Hey, you want to drop us a line? Give us our spoopy podcast at gmail.com. Woo! I had some mimosas today. Uh, that was a long time ago, though. This is a long time ago. That's <laughs> a long time ago. Hey. <laughs> so, we've been watching the supermarket sweep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because it's on you Netflix. made me spit out my drink. Oh my god! This is a normal conversation. What are you talking about? There was a girl on there named Rhonda. Give me a tissue. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm not gonna blow my nose on the Ew! <laughs> Disgusting. Anyways, there was a woman named Rhonda. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But there was also a woman named Pam. <laughs> Pam. So, Wait, did I send you? No, I didn't send you that though. About the Pam, it's kind of funny. Pams. Pam. P a m p s. Well, there is a Pam S, but then there's like other Pams as well. Pam P. Oh, God, you got me all. <laughs> I think I got some white claw out my nose that time. Yeah. <laughs> We've been watching Supermarket Sweet. <laughs> it's a good show. <laughs> okay, it's a good show. <laughs> They're like, we're going to add $50 to your total. I'm like, wow, you just won $50. Cool. <laughs> but also $50 to your total if you're already, I assume it's couponing. No? No. Oh, no. It's just like shopping at the supermarket, and you have to get the highest total. So, like, from 1993. Anyways. Tell so why. I'm not sure who wins money. They and how? They win money when they pull, like, not everyone wins money. Only the winner of the competition. And they can only win $5,000. Or they win their total, too. Okay. So, yeah. So, you go. So, so, the goal is to get as much stuff from the supermarket as possible? Yeah. Get the highest total, and you can only get five. Just of go one buy thing. meats. You can only get five of one thing. Uh, well, go for brisket. Well, fajitas. It's also nineteen ninety three, and they're like, "Let's have Velveeta avocado." No, look an avocado. Thanks. Well, I'm trying to think. What's the most expensive item? I'm thinking that it's probably like a bottle of champagne. Oh, well, I guess maybe that. But I don't I guess think the they wine have alcohol. Section. Finding, yeah. If but I would say meat otherwise. I'd go for meat. Like, a meat would be my first choice. And I would go for, like, prime cuts and, like, as, as antibiotic and grass-fed and cage-free cows. Okay. No, 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 and no, no, Think of the grocery store <laughs> and shirts. Cow. Oh. That's, it's the grocery We've got that. We have an H-E-B there, okay? And okay. we have an H-E-B plus, actually. So, think, child. Shut up. <laughs> think of the, uh, the grocery store in Flatonia. Uh, that would be the Sonic. <laughs> the Sonic that drive. would be the Bucky's for two thousand. No Bucky's there. They have Bucky's in Luling and a Bucky's in Katy. I've driven that route plenty of times. Well, then the Bucky's in Luling. <laughs> Ooh, what is the most expensive thing at the Bucky's in Luling? <laughs> Brisket. Sour worms. <laughs> Sour worms. Probably a big old a fucking beaver. deer. A, a deer. Uh, what's it called? Jerky. Deer blinds. Oh, deer blinds. Oh yeah, they sell those too, don't they? I don't know why, but yes. I love Bucky's. I don't. Why not? A bunch of rednecks. Oh, it's definitely a zoo. It's oh, that is prime people watching. Y'all, if you love people watching, you should always you should go to rspoopypodcast at uh, com or rspoopypodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us a line and let us know your favorite people watching stories because I am about to give you my best ones. Uh, me and my friend, I had a 
uh, water, aer uh, water aerobics class that I had to take, <laughs> or I didn't have to take. I Are took at AM. 30,000 years yes. old? Uh, and I got to be in the class. <laughs> Because I was apparently He's that not trying. I was that bad at water aerobics. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Anyways, uh, no. Yes, it it is. <laughs> I lived in the water for four years in high school. Okay, well, I I it was difficult for me. Okay, I don't swim. Anyways, <laughs> and you didn't have to swim. You touched the bottom the entire time. Regardless. Anyways, back to me. So, uh, we no, <laughs> we were standing outside the rec center, uh, or sitting outside the rec center in my friend's car, and we just sat there for like thirty minutes, just people watching, people going in and out. It's my favorite story because we basically rated um, uh, how much of a douchebag <laughs> all the guys were that walked by, and I was like, yeah, it was good. Anyways, that was a good story, right? Nope. And I, then I found ten dollars. Ah, wow. <laughs> Don't steal that from Martha. And it's twenty dollars. Oh, sorry. Shit. Ten dollars was a lot back then. Excuse me. <laughs> Nineteen fifty nine. Buy a house ten, for ten dollars. Ten dollars really got me far. <laughs> you work at the Burger King for six hours, you could buy a Mustang. Stupid. <laughs> Stupid. Uh yes. Uh but yeah, people watching is a sport. So let us know your favorite people watching. Um, let me tell you stories. about some of my people watching because I I live in the world of the pro most prime of people watching spots. Okay. The mall. Oh, that that's that's a good one because people are. Uh, I'm looking at the audience. <laughs> the mall, and it was like, oh, burr, 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 burr. <laughs> wow, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I've seen a lot. Oh yeah, I bet, I bet you have seen um, some quite the characters, and I'm sure that they are addressed uh, to the nines all oh. the time. <laughs> I've seen. I love whenever you clear your throat because that means you're about to tell us something. You're, I don't know if you notice it, but you're always like, <clears throat> and then you're like, T. Listen. <laughs> so <clears throat> the two that stand out in my mind the most is a, like a probably six foot eight black guy mm -hmm. with long braids mm -hmm. and a onesie. <laughs> okay. Stealing makeup from ah, the mat counter. I love that. And Number you're like, one. ciao. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. But it, baby, you gonna need a whole lot. You got a lot of face. <laughs> you gonna need more than a tester. Like, ma'am, can I help you? <laughs> Let me tell you something, okay? You're gonna need a whole bottle of this Let's for sit. the half yeah. of your face. Here, take this with you too. <laughs> and then uh, another one was a group of uh, an older white couple, drunk. Oh, out of their minds. Oh, I love that. The man. Looked okay. He had on a polo and some shorts, cargo shorts and flip-flops and just like stumbling around or whatever. But his wife was wearing a tennis skirt and a tank top. Tennis skirt pulled up under the boobs. Her whole ass was out. And I'm sure she was so no that she had no... Oh! I saw her ass. I saw her ass. Her ass was out. Literally. I don't know how I didn't see her... Kuka? <laughs> Uh, her her kuka her but yeah and uh, she's just shopping <laughs> just shopping <laughs> the visual that's like <laughs> ma'am <laughs> just like hands up in front of your face like blocking well, she was below across the belt. I was not gonna get anywhere near her if she came near my counter I was gonna be like I have to go to the bathroom I'm going to lunch <laughs> Spencer it's it's uh, three o'clock no. I'm going to lunch. <laughs> Actually, my shift is over. I do. Time to Stores go home. closing. Goodbye. Get out. <laughs> my friend Chelsea, one, I wasn't there that day, but she had a stripper come in. Oh. Who was wearing a bikini and a like a wrap. 
a, a waist wrap. And she sat in the chair and had her whole entire face done. And she tipped $100. That's nice. I would, Wait, have, can you guys, I would have preferred that. Yeah, preferred can you that. accept tips? We're not supposed to, but I 100% did. Oh, I would oh, uh, definitely do that. At the bookstore, I definitely did that. I'm, if the government is listening, I didn't do that. But if oh, you're Yes, you're government. Listener, yes, I took tips from people for doing their makeup. <laughs> it please, takes an hour. Please take me a, take me somewhere else. I took $100. For, no, I would like people be like, oh my God, you did such a good job at cashiering. You'd be like, okay, ciao. <laughs> I don't need this. But, like, normally I wasn't a cashier. So the fact that I would, like, because I was out on the sales floor, like, actually helping people. Because for some reason people thought that I was personable. Uh, so then I'd be out there. And, like, I would, ha- I would like, basically act as people's personal shoppers. I'm sure you understand that. Mm-hmm. Because you are. <laughs> like, okay, so you need this makeup. Okay, please leave now. I don't want to deal with you. And this would be things like, they'd be like, oh, I need this A&M shirt. I'm like, there are literally... Like hundreds. hundreds of options here. What are you looking for specifically? Oh, maybe a long sleeve. Okay, that narrows down to more than half. 25. <laughs> what <laughs> color? What color would you like? What logo would you like? Because they had millions. It was a lot. And then, like, follow me around the store and they'd be like, oh, well, let me tip you. And I'd be like, I'm not supposed to accept tips, but like. <laughs> oh, I was always like, I can't accept tips. But my drawer here is open, and whatever you leave in it, mm-hmm. it's up to you, Yes. <laughs> this is your choice. Your choices. I love oh that. Oh, my God. I left $50 <laughs> Wow. Oh. <gasps> All of our charcuterie board. <laughs> face. Did you know that if you put strawberries in champagne, it's actually really tasty? I learned that today. Here, hold it up. Just throw it. Put some raisins in it. I love uh. raisins. Raisins release the bubbles. Do they? Are you making shit up? <laughs> Are you being serious? Uh-huh. Yeah. Are you making shit up? No. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stupid. Did you put this all together and then not leave a knife in there? He just he just got really creative. We're having a, f- a fun start. <laughs> well, let me tell you what else is fun. You ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about Baked Bones. Woo! A recent Gallup poll shows that Americans have reported feeling stress, worry, and anger at the highest levels in over a decade. While we are growing more and more aware of the effects of stress on our bodies and minds, we may not have considered the effects that our stress can have on our pets. According to a 2019 study, there is a synchronization between stress hormones in humans and their dogs. If you are a dog parent, you probably already know that your pup is very good at reading your body language and can quickly pick up on how you're feeling. We're always working to reduce our own stress in any way that we can, but what about the anxiety that we may have passed on to our dogs? Bake Bones has a solution. CBD has been shown to help reduce stress and anxiety in both humans and dogs, and Bake Bones has your dog covered. Made from organic human-grade ingredients and full-spectrum hemp oil, their bones may offer some relief to your anxious pup. Check out BakeBones.com for more information on CBD for dogs and the other benefits it may provide. <laughs> Baked Bones offers free shipping on all orders over $25, and you can save 15% now with promo code SPOOPY15, S-P-O-O-P-Y-1-5. Baked Bones is LGBTQ owned and operated and is based in Houston, Texas. Baked Bones proudly donates 10% of all profits to no-kill shelters in the United States. Baked Bake Bones. Bones. Wow. I dropped cheese under the chair. <laughs> Where did it go? I have it in my hand now. <laughs> Kennedy. <laughs> Uh, Here, Ken. Ken, look. Oh, man. Ken, look. Look. You got a, you got a present? Look. Come here. Come on. Look. L- 
dogs are barking. You know what I'm saying? Listen, if anyone's dogs are barking, they're mine. They're mine. I had forgotten how much standing on your feet for eight <laughs> hours hurts. It hurts, right? It sucks. I remember there was one time that uh, I went home for like in college. I went home. We're talking about a lot about college. Do I have trauma? Do we need to address this? Anyways. I literally so. <laughs> wish you would stop talking. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what I thought about today? Because my anxiety just takes the best of me all the time. What? I th- this is, okay, This is you are not my therapist, but here we go. <laughs> um, I thought about this time in German class that we were doing German charades as like a warm-up. Because we always did like a 10-minute warm-up for German stuff. So we did German charades. And as I was walking up to it, I remember one of the soccer guys was like, Schweine, which is pig, pig. in German. And I was like, you're a dick. And that trauma is apparently still with me. <laughs> and that's what, 10 that's years it? later? Yeah, I got called a pig. You I was are back. a pig. Oh, that's true. But, now, but see, that's what I'm saying. It's like I get called worse things about my gay friends now. <laughs> that like In high school, Chris was like, oh, that really hurt. And But then like at the same time, I still was like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to. And I still did it. But and now people call you a turkey neck. Hag. Turkey neck. You mean people. Badger. You mean you. <laughs> Did you say turkey neck ravioli? Rabbit badger. Oh, there you go. Rabbit badger. Well, ravioli works too. Lots of nails. <laughs> Claws. For getting honey out of the trees. I chew my nails. We don't do that. Your hat's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> stupid. Okay. Well, I don't know how long we are in, but our intro was... 30 minutes. A lot. Was it? No. <laughs> 17 though. Uh, okay. Well, then let's get started because I have nine pages. I have three. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, then we'll get started because I think I went first last week. Second last week. I went All second, right, so ahead. I should go first this week. Because I talked about the Bear Brook murders, and I talked about the second, right? And you talked about the uh, Salem Witch Trials. Yep. Just nod and smile and just do your thing. So this week, I wanted to talk about <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go first. Um, also, I realized today while I was researching, even though I typed this out yesterday, um, well, typed it out. Um, we're, Copy paste it. <laughs> we're on episode 60. Did you know that? Did you re- I went and edited it today. But no, because I s- switched over to... Wait, 60? That's what it says on mine. Mm-hmm. Episode 60. Oh, well, okay. No, because when I plugged them into uh, <clears throat> Anchor 1, I've switched over into season 2, so now we're on like episode 12. Oh, yeah. And then if I add it back to the other eight, ones... But okay. No. Because I'm adding it with rupees. Oh, Okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> Nobody asked you. <laughs> okay, go. It's almost as if I don't actually have any uh, control of any of that. Almost stuff. as if you have no idea what's going on <laughs> behind the scenes. I just show up. I'm just a talent. One time, Barely. One time I had the headphones, and that was about it. <laughs> it was my birthday. My and birthday. I, and I messed it up for 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, anyways, so I'm going to talk. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Apparently I'm not talking yet. Elbows, you fucking idiot. Okay, it was quick. <laughs> okay, we're back at it. I choked. We're good, we're good. I'm going to talk about the Lindbergh kidnapping. <gasps> a baby? Yeah, baby. A child. A child. No. Oh, no, no, no. What? No, I can't say that. Um, so today I'm going to talk about one of the most talked about public cases in American history. Uh, one that still holds a large bit of mystery even today. Uh, something that was also still not really solved until, not even solved. Uh, something that was still ongoing in the 90s. 
um, 1990s. And uh, I'm going to talk about the Lindbergh baby. Girl, that's a stretch. That, it was still going on. Well, yeah, but how old is that baby in 1990? Oh, yeah, definitely. 65-something, like <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the, it, okay, we'll get into it. Um, so just a reminder. <clears throat> what is happening to me? Am I dying? Just, Here, put these eye drops in your throat. <clears throat> just, uh, uh, just, <laughs> just a reminder before we get started. Uh, Charles Lindbergh is the famous name that you guys, I'm sure, have heard of at some point, and you're probably like, uh, what is Lindbergh? I don't remember what that is. Charles Lindbergh, the maker of Lindbergh cheese? Yep. Lindberger cheese? Nope. Um, he was known for the first solo transatlantic flight from New York City to Paris. <clears throat> he was not the first trans transatlantic flight, though, uh, but he was the first solo flight and the first flight from actual, like, big cities. And it was longer than a lot of other places because other places flew from, like, Canada to the U.K. And it was like, oh, look, we did it. And it was like, that's, that's not really not much. <clears throat> so that's still a feat. Yeah, well, it was 2,000 miles longer than the previous record. <clears throat> I'm dying. It's happening. <clears throat> this flight was considered one of the major feats and the turning point of modern aviation. So now let's discuss the Lindbergh baby. We jump right into it at 7.30 p.m. on March 1st of 1932. You ready? Uh, the Lindbergh's nurse, Betty Gao, uh, she found a 20-month-old, or she found that 20-month-old Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr. was not with his mother, Anne Morrow Lindbergh, who had just come out of the bathtub. Uh, Gal then alerted Charles Lindbergh, who immediately went to the child's room, where he found a ransom note containing bad handwriting and grammar in an envelope on the windowsill. Bad grammar. Still, or bad writing? Bad penmanship, he said. No, bad grammar and bad handwriting. <gasps> Still better than yours. Probably. My, my handwriting is bad. But also I blame the fact that I was forced to learn, while I was still learning how to basically write, was forced to learn cursive in fourth, or third and fourth grade because they were like, you're going to need it. Once you get into middle school, no one's going to do anything besides cursive. And then everything after that was never used, never used cursive. The only time I use cursive is to sign a check. I have beautiful handwriting. Is it Would you like to see? No. No, no. <laughs> Is it cursive? Do you write in cursive? Mm -hmm. See, I never learned proper cursive. Let me so, get like, my book. Oh my god, it's over here. Which makes sense. Which makes sense why I can almost never read your handwriting because I don't know like all of cursive. Mine is like a an amalgamation Mixture. of two. Yeah. Well, mine is too, but mine is just ugly. Mine is an amalgamation of two as a uh, third grader. This is the grocery list that I wrote today. Okay, yours looks nice. It's, it's beautiful. It's kind of mixed. It's fucking beautiful. There's still there's still some words and there's letters in there that I don't like completely make out. Yeah, well, there's some letters that I don't like in cursive, like S's, where it's just like the woo doo doo. Yeah, it's like a ship. I like regular S's. So just I'll regular. Do this. Well, see, that's like with my signature. I made up a bunch of uh, like the the W and like the C. I made like fancy cursive because like I put a little like swirl in my C. A little twisty. A little twisty, twisty in tie. there. And then the W, I always start with a line at the top and then go into the W. Do you know what my favorite letter is? What? D. Do you know why? Because it has a little swirl and then it goes into the... No, I don't... I don't how does a big D Well, work? I don't big, do big it like D. the regular supposed to do it. Okay. I have taken my D from Disney, where it's like the... Oh, that's cute. The, yeah. I, I like that. my D's like Disney D's. Okay. Well, you obviously were one of those uh, gays I love and gals that uh, practice their handwriting. And I remember people were like, Chris, you could just practice your handwriting like we do. They just like sit there and write the same letter over and over and over again. I'm like, I don't fucking care. 
my handwriting's messy and some people can read it. And I used to like ask my teachers, like, can you read my handwriting? I'm like, yeah, but I can read it. So like, as long as the teachers can read my handwriting, it doesn't fucking matter because they're giving me my grades and I don't care. So ciao. <laughs> Period. Um, anyways, so yeah, it did have bad handwriting and bad grammar, and I will show you the picture of it, uh, just because there is a confusing little thing underneath it. Uh, taking a gun, Lindbergh went around the house and the grounds with his butler, Ollie Watley, um, or Waitley? W-H-A-T-E-L-E-Y. Waitley? Watley. Watley? Watley. Watley. I'm going to say Watley. Ollie Watley. Uh, they found impressions in the ground under the window of the baby's room, pieces of a cleverly designed wooden ladder, and a baby's blanket. Watley telephoned the Hopewell Police Department and Lindbergh contacted his attorney and friend Henry Breckenridge and the New Jersey State Police. Hopewell Bureau Police and the New Jersey State Police officers conducted an extensive search of the home and its surrounding area. After midnight, and remember this has happened at 730, so midnight, a fingerprint uh, a fingerprint expert examined the ransom note and ladder. No usable fingerprints or footprints were found, leading experts to conclude that the kidnappers, kidnapper with parentheses around the S, uh, wore gloves and had some type of cloth on the soles of their shoes. No adult fingerprints were found in the baby's room, including in areas witnesses admitted to touching, such as the window, but the baby's fingerprints were, were found. So they found the baby's fingerprints, but they did not Where find... Where did they find the baby fingerprints? I didn't say. I just assume in where, his room where it, he was laying. Yeah, because that's where he where was. they would be, no matter what, because he lives there. That's the ba- exactly. But then they also said, including areas witnesses admitted to touching. So they were saying that they still didn't find fingerprints even when people touched it. What of the other people? Were the witnesses admitted to touching, such as a window? Uh, I assume it probably means like areas that you would assume were touched because. Someone were coming, in. were coming in. If if someone was to get into the house, that's where they would touch it. There was no fingerprints. Uh, so a brief handwritten ransom note uh, that had many spelling and grammar irregularities was found. It said, "Dear sir!" Exclamation point. I have. I'm sorry. Have fifty thousand dollars ready. R e d y. Twenty five thousand dollars in. Put an accent on it. I don't do transatlantic. Me. Dear sir. <laughs> Dear sir, I, this is Chicago. This sure. works. Dear sir, have fifty thousand. No, this is it's it's supposed to be. It's where are they from? They're from potentially Germany. Dear sir, <laughs> please have fifty thousand dollars ready. <laughs> I'm just gonna read it because also they have uh, okay, a lot made, of spelling. I'll, do, I'll no. do one line after you do it. Dear sir, dear sir, I have fifty thousand dollars ready. Have fifty thousand dollars ready. Ready is spelled R E D Y. Ready. $25,000 in $20 bills. $25,000 in $20 bills. $15,000 in $10 bills. $15,000 bills in tens. And bill, or uh, sorry, and $10,000 in $5 bills. I don't need that in $5 bills. <laughs> Put it in tens. After two to four, after two to four days, we will inform you wh- were W E R E. After what? After two to four days, we After will... After two to four di- days, we will, we will in- inform you... Where? Where? <laughs> to deliver the money, M-O-N-Y. Where to deliver the money. <laughs> we warn you for making any ding, A-N-Y-D-I-N-G. We warn you for making any ding. Public. Public! 
or for notify the police or for notify the police the child is in gut care child is in good care good care yeah. good uh indication for all letters are s i n g n a t u r sign sig sing Signat. signature uh, okay i'm done <laughs> and three holes h o h l s at the bottom of the note there yeah it's a lot uh, at the bottom of the note, there were two interconnected blue circles surrounding the red circle with a hole punched through the red circle and two more holes to the left and right. <gasps> the Zodiac. So. No. <laughs> no, no. So this is what it looked like. The ransom note. Cute. So it had like a red one, two blue, circle, two blue circles, and then hole punched in all three of those. Oh, I know exactly what that means. Oh, do you? But I'll wait for you to tell oh, me. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure, Jan. Um, okay, so the word of the ki kidnapping spread very quickly. The word of the kidnapping. <laughs> as hundreds of people converged on the estate, destroying any footprint evidence, along with... Bring all your friends. Come on down. The baby's gone. Oh, my gosh. It's almost as if we've seen this before. Well, mm -hmm. not before, but we have seen this on R2B Podcast in season one of R2B Podcast. <laughs> because this is season two and not season one. Okay. Uh, along with police, well-connected and well-intentioned people arrived at the Lindbergh estate. Military colonels offered their aid, although only one had law enforcement expertise. Herman Norbert Schwarzkopf. Kopf. Schwarzkopf? Schwart Schwarzkopf. Cock. It means blackhead. Cock. Cock. Black cock? Kopf. Kopf. There's a PF. They're just coming straight out and oh, talking Lord. about dick. He was a superintendent of the New, Jer New Jersey State of Police. Other col colonels. Colonels. <laughs> I love colonels. Colonels. <laughs> Especially Colonel uh, Sanders from the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, that's my favorite. He's a salute to the troops. The you know? colonel. <laughs> the colonel. <laughs> Other colonels were Henry Skillman Beckenridge, a Wall Street lawyer, and William J. Donovan, a hero of the First World War. Lindbergh and these men speculated the kidnapping was perpetrated by organized crime figures. They thought that the letter was written by someone who spoke German as his native language because he used a lot of German words. He said, Gut. Gut. And any ding. Uh, any ding. Uh, at this time, Charles Lindbergh used his influence to control the direction of the investigation. How weird. It's almost as if we've heard this before on our Swoopy podcast before. Anyways. It's very reminiscent of the yeah. Germany. Oh my god, are we talking in 30 decibels? John Benet Ramsey. This is Gase. This is. Are we doing our movie do podcast ASMR? Gay Whisper. We, bitch, we would never be able to do ASMR. Gay Whisper. <laughs> Imagine us doing oh. ASMR. This is me eating a pickle. <laughs> well, not just that, just like whispering. We can't whisper. Here, listen to We're this. Like, wait, how do we laugh? <laughs> how do we laugh? It's <laughs> <laughs> just two, two very short staccato haws, but loud as possible. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then they what, 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 oh yeah so then they contacted mickey rosner a broadway hanger on rumored to know mobsters uh rose rosner turned to two speakeasy owners salvatore salvi spitali and irving bits for aid bits bits uh, Lindbergh quickly endorsed the duo and appointed them his intermediaries to deal with the mob. Several organized crime figures such as Al Capone, Willie Moretti, Joe Adonis, and Abner's Villman 
uh, spoke from prison offering to help return the baby in exchange for money or legal favors. Specifically, Capone offered assistance in return for being released from prison under the pretense that his assistance would be more effective. This was quickly denied by authorities. They were like, you want to get out? No, no. No. We finally it. caught you. Because Capone was the one that was like, he killed a million people, but they could never like prove that he like was yeah, part of that. Yeah, they got him for tax For evasion. tax evasion, exactly. Uh, the morning, and I learned that when I was on my walking tours in Chicago. Let me tell you, when you go to Chicago, there are plenty of free things to do. Do not pay money there. Do Anyways. you know that I uh, went to the place where he was in jail, but I didn't go to go to his cell because it was it was busy or like under construction. Uh, he it was busy. Was at how did I forget the name of it? Alcatraz. I was like, where are we going with this? The Alcatraz. Alcatraz. Yes, he was at, at Alcatraz. We didn't, were there, too. Didn't he try to escape? Didn't yeah. he escape? No. No. Only three people ever escaped. And nobody's ever known them. They probably died. Because they died in the fucking ocean. Yeah. That bay is not forgiving. No. It isn't. No, it isn't. It's cold. It's wavy. I don't and know about the cold. It's a Pacific Ocean. Of course it's cold. Of course it's not. It's not that cold. It is cold. It's, cold. it's like cold. 60 degrees. You freeze. You can't freeze to death yes, you can. 60 degrees. Okay, your body can go into hypothermia because your homeostasis does not work in cold water like that. Yeah, I know science. Don't argue with me. Yeah. Shut the fuck up and keep going. <laughs> Anyways, so the morning after... The morning after the kidnapping... The morning... That was... What? The morning after the kidnapping, authorities notified President Herbert Hoover of the crime. So, not even 12 hours after this child was abducted. <laughs> call the president. Call the literal president of the United States. And guess what the president did? Stopped everything. At the time, the kidnapping was classified as a state crime, and the case did not seem to have any grounds for federal involvement. Attorney William, General William D. Mitchell met with Hoover and announced that the whole machinery of the Justice Department would be set in motion to cooperate with the New Jersey authorities. White people. So let me say, see, the president can easily get the federal involvement in crimes and state problems if they really fucking wanted to. So let me go ahead and cite current events like Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, uh, Vanessa... Julian. Ju is that her? How, I almost said Guilin. But we'll I say... it's Julian. But either way, we need to recognize these cases that we can easily get something involved if we fucking need to. We can get the FBI involved into it if the president fucking wants to, but he doesn't because he's a fucking racist. So anyways, <laughs> moving on to the Federal Bureau of Investigation at this time called the Bureau of Investigation was authorized... What's the difference? That it was not the Fed. It was just called the Bureau Bureau oh, just of the Bureau Investigation. Yeah. Okay. And now it, it would be later the called FBI. the FBI. Yeah. Was authorized to investigate the case while the United States Coast Guard and the U.S. Customs Service and U.S. Immigration Services and the Washington, D.C. Police were told their services and Gloria Gaynor and Rita Hayworth. Exactly. Call up. Uh, get everyone. You know, Humphrey Bogarts. This get is, everybody here. This is 12 hours. Not even 12 hours after the case, after the child has been reported missing. Yep. After the child was found missing by the nurse. Mm -hmm. And it took three months to arrest Ahmaud Arbery's killers? Yeah. Go fuck yourself, America. Anyways, 
New Jersey officials announced that a $25,000 reward for the safe return of Little Lindy, uh, the Lindbergh family yeah. offered an additional 50000 reward of their own. Uh, remind you, this is 1932. Uh, at this time, fifty thousand dollars in nineteen thirty-two. The total reward of seventy-five thousand dollars was equivalent to one million four hundred and five thousand four hundred and twenty-seven dollars in two thousand nineteen. For a little ugly baby. Yeah, for a, for an ugly baby. Yeah. Well, we can't say that yet. Uh, that was a tremendous sum of money because the nation was set in the midst of the Great Depression. This was like mm-hmm. just the beginning of Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, on March sixth, a new ransom note uh, arrived by mail at the Lindbergh home. The letter was postmarked March 4th in Brooklyn, and it carried the perforated red and blue marks. The ransom note uh, has uh, the ransom had been raised to $70,000. A third ransom note postmarked from Brooklyn and also included the secret marks uh, arrived in the Breckenridge's mail. So one of the colonels that was there. Um, oh, I just I put that in quotations. Oh, I love that. I love that I was like, I remembered my own writing, and I was like, oh, yeah, this was uh, the colonel. And then I wrote it as well, just to remind myself. But whatever. Uh, the note told the Lindberghs that John Condon uh, should be the intermediary, inter- damn it, intermediary between the Lindberghs and the kidnapper or kidnappers, and requested notification in a newspaper that the third note had been received. Instructions specified the size of the box the money should come in and warn the family not to contact the police. Bitch, the fucking president and the FBI and everyone else in the fucking world knows, knows about this already. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Don't tell the police. Bitch, what the fuck? Uh, during this time, John F. Condon, a well-known Bronx personality and retired school teacher, offered $1,000 if the kidnapper would turn the child over to a Catholic priest. Condon received... Bad idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> we have learned that a lot. Oh, my God. This is not the Let's Talk About uh, World Events podcast, but the United States has been pissing me off a lot lately, so we're going to go on its rage right now. But I saw an article last—well, not article. This is like a true thing about how the basically the entire church system or Catholic church is being bailed out by the United States government. Seven point five million dollars. No billions. Billion it was it was like yeah. one one point something billion, wasn't it? Seven. Oh, okay. Billion. Wouldn't that, I guess it's gone up since the last time I saw it last night, but. But they don't pay taxes because they because they were okay, I haven't gotten to that point because they were affected by the Catholic priests raping little boys. They were like, oh, we had a problem with getting more money after that. Yeah, fucking imagine that surprise. I thought it was because of coronavirus. I'm sure they probably cited coronavirus as well. But from what I saw, it was because they were having hard times because people were angry about the Catholic Church raping yes, little and. boys. Yes, and. Exactly. Welcome to RuPaul's Drag Race, where you always have to do yes, and. Yes, and. Child. Where is and? <laughs> Who's and? Um, so the church that does not pay taxes, the churches that do not pay taxes, we're taking our tax dollars away from people that you could be giving that billions of dollars to who are unemployed right now. Okay, anyways. Or the victims of these people who are going Thank through you. therapy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because I'm sure the settlements that they got were not even close to that. Anyways, so we're talking about this child murder. Um, so Condon received a uh, letter. Thorpe. Uh, Condon received a letter reportedly written by the kidnappers. It authorized Condon to be the intermediary. Why can't I say that word? Intermediary with Lindbergh. Lindbergh, Lindbergh accepted the letter as genuine. 
Genuine. Genuine. Like the rapper? Yeah. Uh, following the kidnapper's latest instructions, Condon placed a classified ad in the New York American Reading, the New York American Reading, Money is Ready, Jaffsey. What? Jaffsey. That's their, I guess, the, the, the code name. The name, yeah. Um, so Condon then waited for further instructions from the culprits. A meeting between Jaffsey and a representative of the group that claimed to be the kidnappers was eventually scheduled for late one evening at the Woodlawn, Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx. According to Condon, the man sounded foreign and stayed in the shadows during the conversation, and Condon was thus unable to get a close look at, the, at his face. The man said his name was John, and he related his story. He was a Scandinavian sailor, uh, part of a gang of three men and two women. The baby was being held on a boat unharmed, but would be returned only for ransom. When Condon expressed doubt that John actually had the baby, he promised some proof the kidnapper would soon return the baby's sleeping suit. The stranger asked Condon, Would I burn if the package were dead? When questioned further, what? he assured Condon that the baby was alive. Would so, I burn if the package was dead? If the baby was dead, would I be in big trouble? Okay. Basically. Uh, when questioned further, he assured Conda that the baby was alive. So basically he told Conda, so if the baby was dead, what would happen? <laughs> Let, hypothetically. The baby's dead. What do we do? And then he's like, is the baby dead? He's like, no, no, no. No, it's good. It's just, just good. He's just sleeping. He's just got a little cold. <laughs> just a little cold. Uh, so then on March 16th, Condon received a toddler sleeping suit by mail and a seventh ransom note. Uh, after Lindbergh identified the sleeping suit, Condon placed a new ad in the home news. Money is ready. No cops. No secret service. I come alone like last time. On April 1st, Condon received a letter saying it was time for the ransom to be delivered. The ransom was packaged in a wooden box that was custom-made in the hope that it would later be identified. The ransom note included a number of gold certificates, gold certificates which were about to be withdrawn from circulation, and it was hoped that this would draw attention to anyone who was, who was spending them. The bills were not marked, but their serial numbers were recorded. On April 2nd, Condon was given a note by an intermediary, an unknown cab driver. Condon met John and told him that they were able to raise only $50,000. The man accepted the money and gave Condon a note saying that the child was in the care of two innocent women. On May, May 12th, wait, what day was this? This was May, March 1st, so May 12th is two months later. Um, where did I go? A delivery truck driver, Orville Wilson, and his, uh, his assistant, William Allen, pulled to the side of the road about 4.5 miles south of the Lindbergh home near the hamlet of Rose, Mount Rose in the neighboring Hopewell Township. When Allen went into a grove of trees to urinate, he discovered the body of a toddler. The skull was badly fractured and the body decomposed. Having been chewed on by animals, there were indications of an attempt by, at a hasty burial as well. Gal, the baby's nurse, identified the baby as the missing infant from the overlapping toes on the right foot and a shirt that she had made. It appeared the child had been killed by a blow to the head. Lindbergh insisted on cremation. On June, uh, I'm sorry. In oh, cremation to get rid of all the evidence. Yep. In June of 1932, officials began to suspect that the crime had been perpetrated by someone the Lindberghs knew. Suspicion fell on Violet Sharp, 
a British household servant at the Morrow home who had given contradictory information regarding her whereabouts on the night of the kidnapping. It was reported that she appeared nervous and suspicious when questioned. She committed suicide on June 10th of 1932 by ingesting a silver polish that contained cyanide just before, question, just before being questioned for the fourth time. Her alibi ended up being later confirmed. Uh, and the police were criticized heavily mm. for their heavy-handedness. My fingers are tired from these quotation yeah so i think they just like threw her name into the bunch because they were like oh you were gone what was her name again uh violet shark Hmm. but then she her alibi ended up being confirmed and they were just like you did it didn't you and she's like yeah i mean bully some indentured servant into saying something uh it was a household servant and you were like you fucking did it and she was like no i didn't and then i mean what what else is she supposed to do at that point she's never gonna be hired anywhere else like especially for a case this large of this massive american hero like just go to school pull yourself up by your bootstraps exactly you just got the right to vote come on well i mean (laughs) ciao uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what do we do here? Um, so then Condon was also questioned by police in his home search, but nothing suggestive was found. Charles Lindbergh stood by Condon during this time. After the discovery of the body, Condon remained unofficially involved in the case. To the public, he had become a suspect and in some circles was vilified. So people were like, okay, so you were involved in this entire thing, but no one's looking at you, especially Charles Lindbergh. So why why exactly so they all like pointed at him so for the next two years he visited police departments pledging to find cemetery john we're gonna get him because he was the one he was the only one who ever actually had interaction with the guy named john uh the person named john um so then condon's actions regarding the case were increasingly flamboyant so after that he was like yeah I'm popular because I was a part of this case. So on one occasion, while riding a city bus, Condon claimed that he saw a suspect on the street and announced his secret identity and ordered the bus to stop immediately. The startled driver complied, and Condon darted from the bus, although his target eluded him. So he was just, I think he just wanted to, like, test his power and be like, there he is. I'm John Condon. I have to go save this person. And, like, jumped off the bus and ran away. Hey, that's how I react to any situation. Honestly. Stop the car! I gotta get out of here! <laughs> I see somebody over there who did something! <laughs> Ooh. Thomas is like, shut up. <laughs> We're on the highway, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's literally a scarecrow. <laughs> yes! And he's bad. That's a cornfield. <laughs> We're in Soda, Texas. <laughs> this is Enos, Texas. <laughs> So then Kana's actions were actually also criticized as exploited, exploitative, 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 yeah, exploitative, exploitative, there you go, when he agreed to appear in a vaudeville act regarding the kidnapping. So he went, and mama, he went and got into a play, he went into a play about these kidnappings because he was like, I used to be on Broadway, like, (laughs) was that him? Yeah, it was him. Right? Hold on. Let me All I can think of is Chicago right now. <laughs> Stop. Don't remind me. A well-known Bronx personality and retired school teacher. Okay, never mind. That was a different person. That was the again. name on everybody's lips is going to be Roxy. What's his name? John Condon. It's going to be John Condon. Stop. The uh, lady raking in the chips is going to be John Condon. You're dumb. Uh, so then the investigators who were working on the case were soon at a standstill. 
Uh, there were no developments and little evidence of any sort. So police turned their attention to tracking the ransom payments instead. A pamphlet was prepared with the serial numbers on the ransom bills, and 250,000 copies were distributed to businesses, mainly in New York City. A few of the ransom bills appeared in scattered locations, some as far away as Chicago and Minneapolis, but those spending, those spending the bills were never found. By a presidential order, a gold, all gold certificates were to be exchanged for other bills by May 1st of 1933. So remember, they gave the gold certificates like, oh, well, these are not going to get taken off anyway, so might as well just tell everyone, you got to put in these gold certificates because we need them. Uh, so a few days before the deadline, a man brought $2,980 to a Manhattan bank for exchange. It was later realized the bills were from the ransom. He had given his name as J.J. Faulkner of 537 West 149th Street. Uh, no one named Faulkner lived at that address, and Jane Faulkner, who had lived there for 20 years prior, did, or I'm sorry, lived there 20 years earlier, yeah, 20 years prior, denied involvement. Uh, during, the third, during a 30-month period, a number of the ransom bills were spent throughout New York City. Detective, detectives realized that many of the bills were being spent along the route of the Lexington Avenue subway, which connected the Bronx with the east side of Manhattan, including the German-Austrian neighborhood of Yorkville. Yorkville. On, Yorkville. Uh, well, actually, technically, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, on, a se on September 18th of 1934, a Manhattan bank teller noticed a gold certificate from the ransom, a New York license plate number 4U1341NY penciled on the bill's margin allowed it to be traced to a nearby gas station. The station manager had written down the license plate number because his customer was acting suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't, Don't be suspicious. suspicious. It was probably a and it was probably a counterfeiter. Uh, the license plate belonged to a sedan owned by Richard Hop Richard Hopman of uh, Lord of twelve seventy nine East two hundred and twenty second Street in the Bronx. Yeah, those streets in New York are difficult. Oh Lord, we get above forty third Street, and I'm like, stop, <laughs> please stop counting. Nope. <laughs> nope, nope. You live not in the city. <laughs> you're you're too far outside the loop. I don't deal with that. Uh, and he was an immigrant from a criminal with a criminal record uh, in Germany. When Hopman was arrested, he was carrying a single twenty dollar gold certificate, and over fourteen thousand dollars of ransom money was found in his garage. Hopman was arrested, interrogated, and beaten at least once throughout the following day and night. <laughs> hey, I know how to get some information out of him. Let's whip Let's him. Let's beat him. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you're guilty until proven innocent in this country. Which is this is America. A sad truth that we still face today. Mm. Lord. Uh, so Hopman said that the money and other items had been left with him by his friend and former business partner, Isidore Fish. Isidore. 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 It's a door. Is a, it, it's a door? No, a door. Hello, come on in. It's a door. A door Delano? Yeah. Oh, my God. A door Don't let window. her in. She smells bad. Yep. Uh, so, so Fish had actually died on March 29th of 1934, uh, shortly after returning to Germany. Hopman stated he only learned of Fish's death and only recently learned after Fish's death that the shoebox that was left for him actually contained a considerable sum of money. He kept the money because he claimed that it was owed to him from a business deal that he and Fish had made. Hopman consistently denied any connection to the crime or knowledge that the money in his house was from the ransom. When the police searched Hopman's house, they found a considerable, considerable amount of additional evidence that linked him to the crime. They found a notebook 
that contained a sketch of the construction ladder similar to what was found at the Lindbergh home in March of 1932. They also found John Condon's telephone number along with his address, which were discovered written on a closet wall in the house. A key piece of evidence, a section of wood, was discovered in the attic of the home. After being examined by an expert, it was determined to be an exact match of the wood used in the construction of the ladder found at the scene of the crime. Which, I'm sure there's a large science behind it, but this is also 1934. I don't understand how you were able to be like, this wood and this wood, exactly the same. Exactly the same. I don't get it. Uh, so then Hoffman was indicated, I'm sorry, indicated, indicted in the Bronx on, <laughs> se- indicated, <laughs> stupid, Yep. It was indicted in the Bronx on September 24th of 19. 19- he was indicted. He's indicted uh, for extorting the $50,000 ransom from Charles Lindbergh. Two weeks later, on October 8th, Hoffman was indicted in New York, I'm sorry, in New Jersey for the murder of Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr. Two days later, he was surrendered to the New Jersey authorities by New York Governor Herbert H. Lehman to face charges directly related to the kidnapping and the murder of the child. Hoffman was charged with capital murder, which meant that the conviction would result in the death penalty. The trial was soon dubbed the trial of the century. Yep. Because, I mean, it. what else has happened in this, this century? Just a world war and the Philippines. The, I'm sorry? The Philippines. The, we, I mean... Independence, the Philippines. In this century? In a lot of things happened in this century. Well, uh, well at this point, it was 1934. Oh. We had a world war and Titanic sank. <gasps> oh. Oh. It's and been 84 woman, years. She threw her necklace. She fucking threw that fucking necklace in the fucking oh, That's ocean. expensive. That is expensive. Thank you. I know. We need that money, girl. We need that money. Where's it at? Where's the jewel of the ocean? Get in that water and swim down there. Yeah, and get, get it. Get, get it. Get it. Uh, so, as report, oh, sorry, it was dubbed as a trial of the century as reporters swarmed the town and every hotel room was booked. Uh, evidence from Hopman included the $20,000 of ransom money found in his garage and testimony alleging handwriting and spelling similarities, similarities that, fa- that were found on the ransom notes. Eight handwriting experts pointed out similarities between the ransom note and Hopman's handwriting se- specimens. I love they call it specimens. Uh, the defense called an expert. Specimens? Ex- yeah. Ooh. Whoa. Uh, the, defen- <laughs> the defense called an expert to rebuke this. Rebuke? Rebuke. It did, that is not what they spelled. It's R-E-B-U-T. Well, I'm sorry, what I typed out. The T what? and the K are very far apart they from are. themselves on the keyboard. So There's um, also I- no E at the end of it. So rebut. So I guess rebuttal. Rebute. Sure. That's what Whatever. I said. Keep going. Anyway, so uh, while two uh, two of the experts they asked uh, declined to testify, the latter two demanded $500 for before looking at the note and were dismissed when the lawyer, a member of, or, yeah, the lawyer, uh, declined. He's like, bitch, I'm not giving you $500 before you even look at these fucking notes. <clears throat> like, you guys are stupid. And then other experts That's were- That's a good- that, honestly, the other experts retained by the defense were never called to testify. So basically, you asked a bunch of expert, experts. Two of them asked you for money, and the other two were just like, eh, I'm not going to testify. It's and then just others difficult. just were never asked. So you clearly have a strong defense. Uh, so, Which also puts into question, like, okay, these people were asking for money, and I'm sure they were probably asking for the highest bidder, you know? Um, in my mind. Uh, so based on the work of Ar- Arthur Kohler, 
at the Forest Productions Laboratory, the state introduced photographs demonstrating that part of the wood from the ladder matched the plank from the floor of Hopman's attic. The type of wood, the direction of tree growth, the milling pattern, the inside and outside surfaces of the wood, and the grain on both sides were identical, and four oddly placed nail holes lined up with the nail holes in Joyce in Hopman's attic. Additionally, Condon's address and telephone number were written in pencil on a closet door in Hopman's home. Hopman admitted to police that he had written Condon's address. He said, I must have read it in the paper about the story. I was a little bit interested and keep a little bit, uh, keep a little bit record of it. And maybe I was just on the closet and was reading the paper and put it down, put it down the address. I can't give you any explanation about the phone number. So basically he was like, I might have read the paper and just wrote it down because I was interested in the story. Which doesn't sound like a far-fetched thing, but, I mean, still kind of crazy to write it on your wall. Yeah. Don't have anywhere to write this. Hmm. As he's reading the paper. On the wall. Why didn't you just cut the piece of paper out? <laughs> okay, what article do I not like here? They're all so good. They're all so good. Can't choose. I can't Ride rip this out. Uh, so additionally, a hand-drawn sketch, which Willens suggests, one of the lawyers, suggested that was a ladder was found in Hotman's notebooks. Hotman was like, that picture belonged to, uh, that picture and other pictures that were in there, in that notebook, um, were from a child who had drawn them. So he just happened to have a, the child just happened to draw a ladder that looked like the ladder that was used. <laughs> the exact ladder. Yeah. Uh, so, despite not having any obvious source of earned income, he had enough money to purchase a large $400 radio, which is nearly $7,000 today, and to send his wife to a trip on a trip to Germany. Hopman was positively identified, uh, uh, positively identified as the man uh, to whom the ransom money was delivered. Other witnesses identified that it was Hopman who had sent some of the Lindbergh gold certificates. Uh, and that he had been seen in the area of the estate in East Amwell, New Jersey, near Hopewell on the day of the kidnapping, and that he had been ab absent from work on the day of the ransom payment and quit his job two days later. So basically they were like, we saw you in the town on the day the baby was gone. Uh, we also s said that you quit your job, or you left, you were not at your job the day that those ransom payments that were happening, and you quit your job two days later. So that means you got that money and you stayed away. So Hopman never uh, attempted to find another job after he quit his job, yet continued to somehow live comfortably in the middle of the Great Depression. Um, when the prosecution rested, the defense opened up their case with a lengthy, lengthy examination of Hopman himself. In his testimony, Hopman denied being guilty, insisting that the box found to contain the gold certificates had been left in his garage by a friend named Isidore Fitch um, and had returned to Germany in December of 1933 and died there in March of 1934. So he was like, this guy that no one knows and no one's ever met, he was the one who dropped these things off and he just went to Germany and died. Mm. <laughs> so weird. So weird. <laughs> he went to Germany and then he died. Then he died. Uh, Hopman claimed that he had one day found a one day found a shoe one day found a shoebox left behind by Fitch, which Hopman had stored on the top shelf of a kitchen broom closet, later discovering the money, which upon counting added, added up to nearly forty thousand dollars. He uh, further claimed that since Fitch owed him around $7,500 in business funds, he was like, I'm going to keep the money because <laughs> you already owe me money. So I'm just going to keep this $40,000 because um, it's interesting. You know? <laughs> uh, so then the, the defense was like, okay, so, okay, so you're innocent. Let's go ahead and call your wife onto the story, right? And you think the wife would be like, no. my husband is going to do, get, he's innocent, you know, blah, blah, blah. So then 
they cross-examined her after that, and she was forced to admit that while she that she hung her apron on a hook higher than the top shelf of where he claimed the shoebox was, and said it was never a shoebox there. Yep. <laughs> she just throws it. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> I can't see it. So then the later rebuttal witnesses testified that Witch could not have been at the scene of the crime and that he had no money for medical treatments when he died of tuberculosis. So he died of tuberculosis in Germany. Uh, and they were like, okay, these times that you claim that he was getting this money, he was never there. So even if it was Fitch, he, it's not possible. And then Fitch's landlady was like, in Germany, was like, he couldn't even afford the $3.50 per week room that i was giving him so bitch was paying 14 dollars in rent i know that money was different back then but 14 dollars uh 300 and something yeah i don't know it doesn't matter it was cheap uh well in my mind but then again they didn't really have jobs anyways um so in his closing summation the defense argued that the evidence against hopman was entirely circumstantial and uh as no reliable witness had placed hopman at the scene of the crime nor were there fingerprints found on the ladder the ransom notes or anywhere in the nursery so they're basically like Okay, you are literally making up everything about this man just because he has money, and none of this, none of the, you can't place him anywhere. Like, there's no evidence of anyone, anyone saying yes, he was there. It's just all just like he happened to be in this area nearby, and like New Jersey and New York City are not that far apart from each other. Like, I don't, yeah, it was interesting. So then Hotman was convicted and immediately sentenced to death. Yep, <laughs> and despite. Several appeals and visits from the governor of New Jersey, who actually believed that this was a more than a one-man job. So he was like, let's hold off on killing him yet, because I think there might be more people involved. And so he was like, let's keep this investigation open. Despite all that, he still ended up being electrocuted on April 3rd of 1936. Uh, at the last minute, he was offered like magazine deals and newspaper articles and all these other things that were like, we will save you and we'll Just give you, we'll give you a, well, they found the baby. Well, tell it well, did they? Yeah, that's true. Um, so then they were like, yeah, well, we'll commute your death sentence and give you just like life in prison with the potential of parole if you just confess. And he was like, I didn't fucking do it. <laughs> like, I'm not going to confess to something I didn't fucking do. So he Salem refused. Trials. Yeah, exactly. So he refused and he got sent to death. He got electrocuted on April 3rd of 1936. Uh, so following Hopman's death, some reporters and independent investigators came up with numerous questions regarding the way that the investigation was run and the fairness of the trial. Questions were raised concerning issues ranging from witness tampering to planting of the evidence. Yep. Twice during the 1980s, 1980s, no. Anna Hopman... That's a year. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's a couple years, actually. That's 10 years. 50 years after this. Anna Hopman sued the state of New Jersey for an unjust execution of her husband. Both times, the suits were dismissed on unknown grounds. So they didn't, they were just like, no. And she was like, why? And they're like, don't have to tell you. Shut up, yeah. bitch. So she continued fighting to clear his name until her death at the age of, 90, uh, of 95 in 1994. There were a lot of alternative theories out there. Uh, all, uh, uh, as well as claiming that Hopman was actually never involved at all. So what do you think happened to the Lindbergh baby? Um, those parents won 100% paid somebody to take oh, the yeah. baby away. It was, it's it was literally the early case of John Benet Ramsey. Yes, like, yes, 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 yes. And they were like, kill it. I don't really want it. Well, also, see, there was rumors that the baby was uh, potentially... Out of wedlock? No, no. It was, potentially was, uh, uh, had a, like a, a physical disability. 
And so that Charles Landberg was like, I can't handle this. Kill it. Like, and like in the 1930s, that's no, yeah, it can't do that. Get rid of it. Well, I mean, it was only what, less than two years old, 20 months old. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) He's not learning to speak fast enough. Yeah. I I don't know. So I, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. So my theory is that Charles Lindbergh definitely had someone hired to do this. And I think that Isidore Fitch was actually involved in this somehow, which is why he got sick and they were like oh it's tuberculosis girl you can't you don't know i think that maybe that that was the person that they found to find to hire oh yeah i think that i think isidore fitch was the one who actually did it and that's what he like as he was leaving he was like take all my stuff and gave it to this hopman guy and hopefully you would find out what happened or bring to light what actually happened exactly and hopman was just like a guy who was like oh i got money (laughs) <laughs> this is cool because like he was friends with Isidore Fitch and Isidore Fitch went and then died like they're like oh they're hunting me and then they fucking died yeah so he had to go and die he had to go and die so then Hotman was like oh well I got money and so they were like you did it and so I think that they planted the wood in the uh, in the attic um I think that he just had the shoebox because I think Fitch was actually the one who did it and that they, they were I, it was just a witch hunt it was just like we need to blame someone for this because it's a huge public spectacle and all this other stuff so yeah. According and I'm sure that the baby that they found was not the actual Lindbergh. Oh, you don't think it was the actual Lindbergh baby? No, I mm-hmm. think that baby, they like fully murdered him and threw him in like the ocean or something. Oh yeah, I, I would not imagine they actually left something that was like, yeah, here's it's substantial. A, yeah, here's this baby, even though it was just a, a random toddler five miles from the property. It's like, you don't think the baby's still alive? No. no, I do not think the baby's still alive. No. What baby is still alive today? Name a baby. Name, name a baby. <laughs> name a child. No. 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 Don't make me do that. Don't make me do so. <laughs> Stupid. Um, so then according to author Lloyd Gardner, a fingerprint expert. Lloyd uh, with two L's? Yes. Love that. Yoid. Yoid. Yoid Gardner. Uh, so a fingerprint expert, Dr. Er- uh, oh, Lord. Uh, Good er- Lord. Er- er- Erastus. E R A S T U S Erastus 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 Mead Hudson. What? What? Uh, He's Amish. Well, at the time, he applied a thin, rare silver nitrate fingerprint process to the ladder and did not find Hopman's fingerprints, even in places that the the maker of the ladder must have touched. So, like at the joints and stuff like that. According to Gardner, officials refused to consider the expert's finding, and the ladder was then washed of all fingerprints. So they were like. Uh, we, we can't found, find anything. Just wash just it. Just wash it. We we'll just take it off. Excuse me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so several people have suggested that Charles Lindbergh was responsible for the kidnapping in 2010. This is still a mystery. Uh, Jim bombs beneath the winter sycamores implied that the baby was physically disabled, and the Lindberghs arranged the kidnapping as a way of secretly moving the baby to be raised in Germany. So they think that the baby might still be alive, and that the baby was just found. So <laughs> Thomas might be right. Um, another theory is that Lindbergh accidentally killed his son in a prank gone wrong in crime of the century the Lindbergh kidnapping hoax criminal defense attorney Gregory Algren posits that Lindbergh climbed a ladder and brought his son out of the window but then dropped the child and why am I laughing they dropped the child killing him so he hid the body in the woods and then covered up the crime blaming Hopman because he's a rich well yeah, that's a bit of a stretch, but from what I understand, that Lindbergh was quite the personality. <laughs> he went out of the baby, went out of the window, climbed up there with the baby, put him in the window like a puppet. Hey, 
baby, everyone. I'm the baby. Well, also, this is March in New York, New Jersey. Isn't it cold? Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily be snowy. It could be. It could be. <laughs> it's not in Brunswick. Yeah. But it would be chilly it out. It doesn't snow until August there. No. <laughs> no. Sometimes till June. But that's about <laughs> it. Uh, so then Robert Zorn's 2012 book, Cemetery John, proposes that Hopman was part of a conspiracy theory, uh, I'm sorry, conspiracy with two other German-born men, John and Walter Knoll. Uh, in German, it would be John and, Wal- John and Walter Knoll. Knoll. Uh, Zorn's father, economist Eugene Zorn, believed that as a teenager, he had witnessed the conspiracy being discussed. So that it was like, okay, Hopman was with these other two people, and they, they were doing it. They were doing it. They were there. They did that. And that was that. Yeah. So that is that on the Lindbergh baby. I know that was a long story, but I liked that for, especially for our 60th episode. I just wanted to like get a little freaky with that. Like baby killings. Just get some baby killings, you know? (laughs) Three dead in third ward. Just kidding. (laughs) You ready to talk about my story? Yes. Let's get started. So... I wanted to talk about one of the most haunted places in America. Oh, my God. So I talked about one of the biggest cases in America, and you talked about one of the most haunted places in America. Stop that. Hold on. Cheers to myself. How are you not done with that? I haven't, I'm sipping it. <laughs> That's gross. Let me just sip some gin. That's what martinis uh, are. Yeah. Who drinks those? Gin and vermouth. 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 Yeah, honestly. Um, so, I'm clinking on my gold filling. Oh, how wonderful! It's very um, pale for gold. It's white gold. <laughs> oh, oh, it's not very shiny. Looks a little brown. Shut the fuck up! <laughs> I hate you. You know the the color of pasta? Probably that. That <laughs> your teeth are pasta color. Yeah. Mm. You. <laughs> E. God, what are they doing out there? I can't hear it on this, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm that's impressed. Good. They are throwing some fireworks. That's I don't know. I think like. they're on the fucking garage. It sounds like. Like, right up here. Right up here, you know? Right up here. Right up here. Okay, we're going to do it. One, two, two three. three. Drunk. Poison. <gasps> My phone. It rang. Anyways, um, let's talk about your haunted stuff. Yeah, so I feel like we've strayed away from hauntings. So we have not had a we haunting. We have not had a haunting in a little while. Because ta- hauntings are actually one of those things that's <laughs> sorry, kind of difficult to research. because It's very difficult to research. Because a lot of the haunting things are like hearsay. Or like they were on uh, ghost adventures or blah, blah, blah. Because a lot of places don't advertise that they're haunted. Because like, uh, what's that one? The the Shining Hotel. Uh, oh, uh, in Colorado. Estes Park. No. Yes. Is, no, it's not Essence Park. What's Estes it called? Park Hotel. No, it's not. Yes, it is. The Broadmoor. That's what it's called. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. The Broadmoor. Um, the Broadmoor Hotel. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Are you sure? Yes. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Okay, Stanley Hotel. Shut your bitch Anyways, fucking so my mom and dad left to son, say, son of a bitch ass up. They love to say at the Broadmoor as well in Colorado. 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 Um, and 
they that one is also very haunted and so i tried to research it one time and i was like they have their website has nothing <laughs> one person sometimes once said that one person was like i hear music that's the ghost they were like the ghost adventures spent the night here one time and i was like okay well then i'm gonna have to go and i hate the ghost adventures guy because he's like whoa did you guys hear that did you hear that and it's like <sighs> it's the cameraman because he walked up a flight of stairs <laughs> <laughs> and he's 400 pounds. Yes. Oh. And it's you. <laughs> and it's me. <laughs> Quarantine uh, rate. Wait, really? Hey. I'm just trying to survive, okay? You know, standing for eight hours a day has really taken a toll on my eating of a bag of Kit Kats. Bag of Kit Kats? Yeah. Okay. It's not possible anymore. Oh my gosh. You're like, I'm a skinny legend. I'm healthy. <laughs> I'm only 280 pounds. <laughs> oh! Mm, Trim mm. spa, baby. Um. <laughs> uh, so I thought we could talk about one of the most supposedly haunted places in America. Please tell me your haunted places. Have you ever heard of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum? I have not. So uh, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was created in the late 1800s. The hospital was authorized by the Virginia General Assembly in the early 1850s as the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. A major Which the word lunatic comes from like people who are crazy at night, right? Luna, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they housed a majority of, of uh, people deemed insane by uh, lesser or, or prior years. Yeah. Uh, which anybody could be insane for anybody. It, it, it meant anyone who had any sort of mental illness, any physical mm-hmm. illness, mm-hmm. any sort of disability of any sort. They were just like, Woman's you're like, insane. My husband's cheating on me. She was like, hysteria. Yeah, you're. Give her vibrators and heroin. Just put her away. Um, so vibrators back then, because I took a, a history of sex, not history of sex, uh, um, sociology of sex and gender, and we talked about the history of like uh, vibrators, well, vibrators and sex toys and stuff. Yeah. They had like one that was like a wooden crank, <laughs> a full on like wooden crank. <laughs> it was like a dildo that you put inside of you and you like cranked it and it like swirled. Imagine the splinters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just polish it. Okay, there you go. Um, polyurethane? Do I think have that? I think it's being polished right there. Oh. Uh, <laughs> women are rolling over in their graves as we speak. Because of the vibrators? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it, just, it's keep go- it keeps going. Stop. You can't stop it. Okay, anyways. Uh, so a major consultant for the creation of the hospital was Thomas Kirkbride, mm-hmm. uh, the superintendent of the Pennsylvania Hospital for the Insane. Um, he held different ideas at the time in treatment for those uh, that were deemed insane. Did he do lobotomy? <laughs> no. No. Uh, he believed that patients with illnesses would respond best to treatments in well-lit and well-ventilated places. Okay. So, he so put them don't outside. keep them in a basement. Isn't How weird. That's so weird. I know. That instead of being in Treat them like dark, a person? Yeah. Instead of in dark prisons, maybe give them a little bit of, uh, like... Attention. You know? A semblance of normalcy. Yeah. Um, uh, prior to this, most mentally ill people were housed in jails, uh, public homes, or basements of public buildings. Okay. He helped to design these hospitals in the Gothic Revival style and Tudor styles, along with the architect Richard Snowden, uh, uh, Richard Snowden Andrews, in a manner known as the Kirkbride Plan. So the Tudor style is kind of fucking crazy. I'm thinking like early These 1900s. buildings are very creepy. Yeah. Um, I'll show you a picture. 
Yes. <laughs> and we pause. No, because like I'm thinking like 1890s, like a uh, Tudor mansion. I'm thinking honestly the Chicago. I'm thinking the Chicago Murder House. Like oh, very similar. Oh, bitch. Because like they had like the tall points and like the windowsill that the woman looks out for, waiting for her husband to come back from war, even though there was no wars happening. Actually, there were, 90s was there was Philippine wars, war. Yeah, yeah the Spanish American war. Lots, there was lots, lots, lots of, of wars. wars. Oh, bitch, that's creepy. And also, it's sediment. Oh. I just got a little warm. Still pressing. It's not happening. <laughs> it's not happening because my rotate is not on. I don't rotate. <laughs> because my phone was dead. Dead. It's um, still not happening. <laughs> um, uh, ooh. ooh. Ah. Is it going to rotate? And we wait, 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 and we wait. Technical difficulties. There it is. Oh, whoa, that's big. They were huge. That's massive. Yeah. So, that's what he knows. They were constructed in these large bat wing shaped buildings with different wings associated with different ailments. So, other buildings other buildings that these two built together were the Maryland's governor mansion and the US treasury wait built in the same style oh mm-hmm. in the same style I thought you meant like in the same building as this I was like oh no no, no. what the two planned the buildings together oh okay gotcha yeah so the two planned to build hospital in the uh, plan to build the hospital on the West Fork River on the opposite side of the river of the city of Weston West okay. Virginia. Well, at this time, just Virginia. Uh, construction Virginia began. Virginia were the same. They were. Good. Well, I'll I'm tell so you all about history. it. We're going to get right oh, into it. Oh, we're going to just jump right into it. Uh, so, construction began happens. in 1858. The hospital was initially constructed by prison labor, and eventually, some convicted African Americans were forced to build this. Uh, after the initial structures were built, uh, the foremen brought in stonemasons from Germany and Ireland to perform the skilled labor portions of the project. Okay, so all the hard labor was done by prisoners, prisoners. or slaves. Yeah. Um, construction went smoothly until a major event in American history occurred. The Civil War Surprise! broke out 1861. Halted all construction and supplies were requested to the war effort. And this was in Virginia at the time, part of the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Um, right at the border, too. Mm-hmm. So now this is where things get a little hazy because the hospital is in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So before supplies and funds were rerouted, what mountains basically? Yeah, middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, The funds were rerouted to the Seventh Ohio Voluntary Infantry when they took the town of Wheeling. When the Union came through, they rerouted the funds to the reorganized government of Virginia, which sided with the North. This is the government which would eventually lead to the separate state of Western Virginia. The new government gave the funds back to the hospital in 1862, and they continued the hospital. In 1863, the U.S. government admitted West Virginia as a new state and remade the, renamed the hospital the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. Okay. First, patients were admitted in October of 1864, but construction continued until 1881. Clock Tower was completed in 1871, and the residences for African Americans were completed in 1873. The entire hospital was intended to be self-sufficient. It had a dairy, a waterworks, a farm, and a cemetery all across, get this, 666 acres. That is a large plot of land. Large plot of land, also 666. 
Oh. I didn't even realize that. That's good. That We got some dark shit brewing here, don't we? Baby. Um, initially, the also, this, Sorry. This sounds reminiscent of... Call back to our first episode. Um, where the uh, Victoria Blacks went in. Started with, like, a dairy farm. And, like, we had the dairy, dairy farm back just here in all the back. by ourselves. We don't have to talk to anybody. Yeah. We got all this land and, like, all this stuff in the middle of a fucking city. Anyways, continue. <laughs> yep. Um, initially, the hospital thrived but as one of the best facilities uh, in the country. Uh, but as all government-run institutions that are designed to help pub- the public, that service was overloaded. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Overloaded. Already drunk. Well, I was reading things and I was not drunk, so I was just a mess. <laughs> I think, no, I'm reading it, but I'm not reading well. Oh, that's fine. I was reading it, too, and I was sober and... Well, it's semi-sober. And I was like, well, I don't know what these words are. So, um, <laughs> good so luck. <laughs> the, pub- the service was overloaded and the funds were limited. In 1880, the population was 717, 600 and si- 1,661 in 1938, and over 1,800 in 1949. Hit its peak in 1950s at around 2,600. The facility was de- designed for... 250 people. So they have... Ten times. Ten times the amount. Mm-hmm. Wow. And this is also because 1939 is when the United States started doing lobotomies. Well, early 40s. So right now they're like, oh, you, you're insane? Come on. Come on the back. Well, it, it takes a, a threshold here later. Oh, does it? Mm-hmm. So the overcrowding of the facility eventually led to some pretty heinous practices at the hospital. 1938 report by survey committed... Uh, survey committee organized by the North American Medical Organizations found that the hospital housed, quote, epileptics, alcoholics, drug abusers, and the non-educatable mental defectives. So they were looking at people who had mental disabilities and, like, birth defects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Epileptics, people and then that abused alcohol. It was, it was like a rehab facility, but also, like... Mental hospital. Mental hospital. Like, maybe you should have separated those. Especially since you have 666 acres. Like, build another fucking hospital and put the people... Put the alcoholics put in the a alcoholics, tent. Thank you. Put them outside. They Just can like, deal with it. Don't drink anything. Lord. We got a cabin for you out in the woods. Yeah. Um, cabin so, in the woods. <gasps> the strangers. <sighs> Murder. Stop. Um, all groups in the modern opinions that should have been separate. Um, a series of reports from the Charleston Gazette in 1949 laid out a lot of the deficiency of the deficiencies of the hospital, such as unsanitary conditions. Yeah. Do it. Ready? Ready? Yes. Do it. Do it. Do it. Oh, oh so oh. slow. Do it so slow and essentially. Um, so they had deficiencies such as unsanitary conditions, insufficient furniture, mm. didn't have enough beds. Yeah. Um, well, uh, imagine, because it's set up for 700, what do you say, 750 people? No, 250, 250 people. And they have 2,600. Yeah. So I can imagine 10 people in a bed is not enough furniture. <laughs> put, put all 10 of those people in one bed. Especially when you have people who are not um, the most coherent or understanding of these situations. Like, the alcoholics were probably the ones who got the beds. Like, they were like, I'm just there. And everyone's like, oh, you... Let's be honest. Yeah. They pass out on the door. The Oh, I've done that before. Yep. At your house. At your lake house. <laughs> Break the door down. I did not. In your own house. Oh, in my house. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, that was, was a, that was a long time ago. That was also other factors involved. A week ago. <laughs> so, that uh, was almost a year ago. Wow. Anyways. Um, they had insufficient lighting and heating. Um, something to make in it In West even... Virginia in the mountains? Sorry, yeah. I keep interrupting. Uh, you gave me that gin, and I'm like, wow! How do you think I feel trying to fucking read? Um, something to make this even more jarring, the hospital suffered a patient burning a portion of the West Wing. So the, he lit it on fire. Yep. He or she lit it on fire. Yep. Lord. Um, the the Works Progress Administration gave funds to rebuild the damaged portion of the, uh, the hospital, but did nothing for the other wing. So WPA, if I remember from history, that was back during the big or the New the Depression. Deal. Yeah, in the, in the Depression. That was when uh, Roosevelt was like, uh, "We're going to put all of you unemployed people to work. The government's going to pay for everything," which is so weird because we have people who are looking for a Green New Deal right now. Because it fucking worked, okay? It got people mm. out of a fucking depression. Anyways, um, we're still not talking about modern day America because that pisses me off. Um, yeah, the, that they, the WPA was very um, built pro- the Hoover Dam. Yeah, prominent, prominent. There you go. Built forests. The, yeah, they built the forests. They planted them. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. They built the the Tennessee Valley uh, Power or something or another. Mm-hmm. It was a big old thing. It's still there. TVPA. I don't remember what it is. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, in the 1950s, the hospital found itself to be the home for the West Virginia Lobotomy Project. Yes! Call uh, back. This was an effort led by the governor of the at the time, Walter Freeman, to reduce the number of patients at the overcrowded hospitals. We have too many patients here. Let's give you them know, lobotomies and get them the fuck out. Alcoholic. <laughs> yep. Bye. Um, so Freeman was the initiator of the ice pick method of lobotomy, mm-hmm. which you remember from season I one. I talked about it. Uh, where a Call small, back to season one. Hey, <laughs> a small ice pick is inserted into the inner corner of the eye and is struck by a mallet to destroy the connective tissue in the brain's prefrontal, corda, prefrontal cortex. This is all while they're awake, by the way. Yes. Under no, uh, well, I don't know that they're under sedation. I doubt that they are. In this case, it didn't specify, but I would imagine that yeah. it's not. I under never sedation. saw on the field said anything about sedation. I assume not either. You just have a sheet of metal right here underneath your eye, sticking up into your brain. Just yep. Just because they were like, oh, the brain right here in the your basically your forehead. It's all just connective tissue. It doesn't need anything. It makes it actually better. Will heal you. Yeah, your brain is just this big in the back of your head. There's some tissue. Just up don't there. hit it. You're fine. Makes sense. Um, so by the 1980s, the medical practices had changed significantly, and the hospital experienced some relief in crowding as patients sought care elsewhere because they don't want to be in an asylum. This is also 1980s where media is actually like a thing? Yeah. Wow. Um, they sought care elsewhere, and usually unu- they were usually were not relegated to hospitals like these, but patients who remained were uncontrollable. The, the patients who remained were uncontrollable, they were forced to live in cages. Yeah. I was going to say, this. they're probably people who, their families abandoned them, got rid of them, you know, did not want them. They're probably people who have lived in this hospital for ages, uh, ages, a long period of time, and probably, like, in their adult years and barely survived to be there. So they're like, I, we don't know what to do with you at this point. Especially since they probably give them the lobotomies and further uh, exacerbated. Yeah, exactly. Exacerbated their circumstances and made them, um, their life... Miserable. Miserable, yeah. yeah. Also, it's West Virginia. Yeah. 
1986, Governor Arch Moore announced plans to build a new psychiatric hospital elsewhere in the state and decommissioned the hospital and convert to convert it into a prison. Ultimately, what the fuck? It, it was a prison. It was a prison long. to begin with. Ultimately, the new psychiatric hospital was built in Weston, and the Trans Allegheny Hospital was closed in May 1994. Since that time, the hospital has remained mostly vacant, save for some events like fairs, church revivals, and tours. In 2007, the hospital and grounds were auctioned and bought by a man named Joe Jordan, who would who had been attempting to renovate the building and turn it into a museum of sorts. By many I bet that would be popular actually. It's actually very popular. Oh, is it? Did he oh, sorry, keep going. Uh, by many accounts it's one of the most haunted places in the United States and these are a few of the spirits said to inhabit the system. Um, so he is still trying to renovate the entire building. Um, but he does rent it out for tours during the day, tours during the night, and also private tours. That's where all of the ghost hunters, mm -hmm. ghost adventurers, all these people come to go see it. And they stay in the place overnight. Yeah. But they pay, you know, $150 per person, and you have to have at least 10 people. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they're getting Well, I mean, he's trying to raise as much money as possible to do these renovations. And reserva renovations on a building that's built like that, In the they're not cheap. No. Because you have to build, especially if you're trying to keep the same, like, style and, like, architecture Integrity and all Integrity of the building. Exactly. Stone like that is not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> like. So, I mean, I think he's doing something good. And I would yeah. like to see it restored to a place where it's able to be visited by people. But I don't like it as the... It, it feels like kind of like a come look at the freaks from the past. Yeah. It should be more of like look at what, what we happened to do here and, and what we should be yeah, doing. Yeah, exactly. And this building was built by people mm -hmm. that didn't want to build a building like this. Well, that's like Ellis Island and Angel Island. Like, I look at both those places here in America and like look at, okay, we're still on America and. <laughs> How fucked up this fucking country is. But Ellis Island and uh, Angel Island, those were some fucked up places. And Angel Island was even worse than um, Ellis Island. Angel Island was in, I think, San Francisco uh, or somewhere in California, which is basically like people coming from the West Coast. And they were like, no, we don't want anyone. And like it, it, anyone who was sick, anyone who would look different from them, anyone who was like any – gave them even a little bit of side eye, they were like – Get go out. get out and most of the people came over either illegally Spent or their entire savings to get exactly. over exactly so how the fuck where the fuck are they going to go after that so these places were not places to be glorified so i don't understand why like ellis island is a place that people go and i every single time that i've been to new york city i have never gotten off the boat for ellis island because i do not think that ellis island is something to be glorified i think it's a dark dark place. it's a quarantine zone. it was it was it was a dark place that people die it was it was basically the the 1920s and 30s or even prior of the kids in cages now like the, there was people that were put in cages that were just sitting there like dying it's dying of sickness dying of what dying of old age dying of starvation like it wasn't a good place so and i mean it's the same thing as like this hospital people were just sent to places in america just like you were different from everyone else sorry yep. <laughs> you're gonna die or you're gonna have a miserable life yep um so uh, from what I found on the internet, mm -hmm. uh, there are two ghosts that are um, very prevalent mm -hmm. in the hospital. Uh, one is a little girl named Lily. Okay. So how do they know her name? Oh, I assume the EVPs. 
Well, they also have some records. Oh, okay. So a little girl that was born in the asylum, she was allegedly born between 19, or 1863 to a patient named Gladys. Gladys was a casualty of the Civil War legend, says that she was abandoned by her husband, uh, and a group of roving soldiers who accosted her would rape her often. Um, they did this so many times that eventually she went mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was admitted to the, ho- the asylum, and they found that she was pregnant. After the child had been born, the staff removed the baby and took her away as Gladys was a ward of the state. Uh, legends state that Lily was only alive for a few hours. She is noted to live in the asylum to this day, being most active in a room on the first floor of the hospital. Paranormal ag- investigators often bring her presents like toys, stuffed animals, and candy. Some claim that the candy disappears. They also claim that the plastic balls roll across the floor of the room unaided. There are also EVP recordings of children's voices and laughter in the room. A lot of the investigators are are skeptical that Lily died as a baby. Um, They think she lasted longer. They think that she lasted longer. Or they believe that Lily is the name given to all of the children that inhabited the hospital Mm. because they were more than just oh yeah I'm, I'm assuming that a hospital that is supposed to house 250 people that housed 2600 people there's a lot of people that were just having sex with each other them. or were being raped by the hospital workers because they or being raped by the the patients exactly like i mean there was everyone was just it was it was a I, free for all a, i want to call it a zoo but not in like a fun way like it was a, a free for all honestly it was just crazy madness and i can't even imagine the people who work there i can't imagine the people who had to live there like the, i assume you it have was just a fuckery. 200 and two, 2600 people in a hospital built for 250 mm-hmm. you have 10 people to one room well you, can, you don't even have to say, assume it's a room you have to assume you can assume that there may be two or three patient, patients in a room so then it could be 20 to 30 people in a room well these rooms specifically were designed for one people. one person okay for, yeah one people one right? people it doesn't matter. so i mean and there's big hallways in the center so mm-hmm. if if they had to lock people in their rooms at night it would have been at least 10 people to a room mm-hmm. with no furniture exactly and who some knows people were just attacking each other raping each other touching each other you know everything who knows was if they were separating by gender uh-huh. if they're separating only by illness yeah anyways um, so another ghost that is um, notable is Jim James. Jim is a ghost that resides in another room of the hospital that is apparently very fond of cigarettes. One reporter from the Washingtonian magazine reported that she entered a room that he was said to inhabit and placed a fat flashlight on the ground of the room. She offered Jim a cigarette if he could turn off the light for her. Reports say that the light flickered a lot. Okay, but... I have a problem with the the, the flashlight thing because typically what they do is they turn the bulb to the point that it's like on the brink of turning off and on and like, oh, can you turn the bulb a little bit more? Well, well he said to do this with more than one person. Okay. But I mean, you know I believe in ghosts, but like I think that some of the practices that they use for deciding that ghosts are there are kind of like, okay, that's a little... It's a stretch, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. But... Uh, so I have a personal connection to uh, mental asylums. You ready? Are you crazy? Yeah, it was me. I was there. Uh, no, so my mom uh, actually had two brothers who ended up having what's called Hunter's disease. So we, our family, or my grandmother was a carrier for Hunter's disease, which is a sex-linked chromosome 
uh, disease so that people who have X chromosomes can have it without passing it down uh, if they have daughters. So, so it's the, only for men. It's only for men, correct. Because if you are a man, you have XY chromosome. So if you have an uh, affected X chromosome, then it's going to obviously affect You've you. You've said this story before. Oh, have I? Yeah. I okay. So. Well, she ended up having two brothers. The first one died very young, but the second one uh, was, uh, lived longer. Um, Is and his name Nimrod? No, I don't remember their names, actually. It might be the Jin talking. Um, I think I one remember. of them starts with an N, if I've heard the story before. Uh, his name was not Nimrod. <laughs> it wasn't Nimrod, but it started with an N. No, I don't, I don't remember. Um, off the top of my head. But, uh, yeah, so um, the older one, they ended up having to move for, because my grandfather was in the military, uh, and they could not handle han- – they not handle. I can't say that. Um, the, the military was basically like, we can't take him with you. Uh, and so he got put in an uh, asylum, essentially, as, at a young age. And my mom has really no idea what happened. They just got a letter that basically said that he passed away in his sleep. Uh, but she has no idea, especially learning now, like in the six, 50s and 60s, like what happened to him. Like you have no idea. He could have been oh, at one of these. Lobotomy. Exactly. He, you have no idea what was happening, where he was. It, was he in this facility? Was he in a facility that was similar to it? Like I, I have no idea. I don't know. Because your mom was born in what year? 1960. 60. Yeah, and he was, I believe it was her older brother. So, yeah, he was born in the late 50s. 50s, yeah. And so I, I think he was six or seven when they sent him away. Uh, so, yeah. And he, I think, died when at the age of 12. So, yeah. So we have no idea where he, I, I don't know where he was. I'm sure if I asked my mom, she might know what hospital he was sent to. And I would love to research that more just to, like, know more about it. But, I mean, these things were, uh, he could have been at one of these hospitals that, were very similar to what what happened here in West Virginia. That Where'd she was, live in? She oh, when they left, it might have been Ohio, so he could have been sent to the one in the West That's Virginia. That's just south. Exactly. So I have no idea. I'm gonna have to ask where he was sent to. Because I mean, it it, it was a re- very real, uh, real situation that people faced. Uh, as you said, up until the 80s, people were still going yeah. there in the 80s. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they weren't weren't treated the way that they were in the fifties, but uh-huh. still. Mm-hmm. And imagine in the fifties, if you and I were children and we had come out as gay people, we'd, we'd have sent, probably sent we'd to been these been places. Been sent to these places, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And we would not have conversion share conversion therapy. Conversion therapy is still just a disgusting, horrible, deplorable. Uh, tactic that people use to scare gay people into being different not scare literally brainwash and like yeah terrorize them traumatize them abuse them into attempting to be straight but if we had been born even earlier than that we would have been tortured tortured we would have been tortured tortured and Mm -hmm. uh maimed Mm -hmm. to become quote normal Mm -hmm. yeah what what the society at the time to deem normal yeah yeah that's why, like, you have to. That's why I love our sister podcast. Let's talk about gay stuff. Not a time to scream their name, surprisingly, uh, because they actually address these things all the time. Like, these are things that were I mean, prevalent the, in our community. Exactly in the 1950s and 60s, they talk about these these historical facts and figures all the time of like things that happened in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Like, girl, I didn't even know that like 
gays even they talked about one of the presidents that that they thought was was potentially gays have been around since the beginning of time oh yeah of course yeah but like i've seen because i like older movies black Mm -hmm. and whites i love those Mm -hmm. but like they have one that's like um the uh, the um i don't know what they call it but it's like the sin of homosexuality and it's like this this older man that picks up teens at the basketball court and brings them home and has sex with them and then the teens that have sex with him are ruined for life. Yeah. They're homosexuals now. And now they, they can't think straight. They can't get a job. They can't do anything. They're, they're just totally inept. So it created this whole idea that there were, that all homosexuals were abusers and all homosexuals were, were causing the whole complete ruin of like use of our society and like all this other stuff. And so like, because we're trying to play into it, uh, the narrative that's it's a disease. Exactly. And it, it, that's what makes me so infuriated, especially with people who look at, like, gay representation now. It's like, oh, I don't need gay shoved down my throat. And let me tell you, I have faced this from family and friend, <laughs> family and friends that have, like, told me, oh, well, why does it have to be all, all about the gay stuff? Because there is no gay representation anywhere. And this gay representation, we have had representation in negative ways for a hundred years. 200 years. Because, Brenda, the, the gay person you know is not a fucking nail exactly. tech. Exactly. He's, he's the person that, you know, writes the articles in your newspaper. He's the person that works at your grocery store. He's, he's the, the one who that, built your fucking house. He's like, the one that built your fucking house. You have he no idea. made the shoes that you're wearing right uh-huh. now. He designed them. He's your doctor. Like She's a fucking... Uh, she built your fucking house for you. Exactly. From the ground up. She's the foreman. She... Uh, I mean... They're the ones who put down the road. Like I, I gay don't know. people come in all shapes and sizes, and exactly. I tell that people to people every day, every day, even in 2020. Mm-hmm. We was, we still face it now. I was, I mean, yeah. And it, let me, we've already yeah, yelled about America do, a lot. Uh, a cross here. Yeah. <laughs> not, I don't, I don't, I'm not Catholic anyway. <laughs> but like, I was talking to uh, one of my coworkers the other day, and she was like, yeah. He doesn't look. And every time she says something gay, she's always like whispers it. She's like, he doesn't look like he's gay. I'm like, baby, I'm gay. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. He could be gay. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. One, you don't know that he is gay. Yeah. You haven't asked him. Yeah. You don't know anything about him. You just saw him with your own eyes. And you were just like, he's gay. He's gay. Yeah. So what the fuck if he's gay? Yeah. And so what if he's portraying these stereotypes that you assume are gay? Some of the some of the, the homosexuals that are out there are not portraying any stereotypes and what about it? It does not matter that they, there has to be any any indication or anything like that. Like I don't know. Gays come in all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure I like makeup, sure I like uh drag queens, sure I like high heels. But that's also coming from you and I and uh, the friends that let's talk about gay stuff as well. Like we are all very out and proud individuals. So we are very proud of what we have become essentially. So, but there's so many people who are very affected by so many different words and stuff like that. So like, I mean, looking back, not even 30, 40 years, like we're looking at people even who, today, that yeah, same yeah. woman and I won't name her because uh-huh. obviously that's not good. Um, but she would say guys are fairies. Uh-huh. That's a, a, a derogatory term. Yeah, and I'm not offended by the term fairy. Because you're a proud, out and proud gay because man. Because some things that would con- be considered fairy-like mm-hmm. that I do, Yeah, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I'm going to do them anyway. Yeah. That's what I like. Yeah. Um, but, but the imagine- fact that you are here whispering to me, you know, he's like a fairy kind of guy. That already screams homophobia. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean... What is a fairy? What is, what's 
describe a fairy. Yeah, describe Seven. a fairy. Walking on his high Dainty, yeah. Like, Prancing, arms so excited. One thing that I've actually learned like very is like very politically powering, empowering in charge is to say, what do you mean by that? Like it's 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 such a sharp tool that is in your back pocket that you can use all the time. When they when anyone makes a joke about racism or sexism or transphobia or homophobia, you just say, What do you mean by that? Yeah. Like that one and I also heard another one is when somebody makes a, a sexist joke or a, a gay joke to you, you mm-hmm. say, why is that funny? Yeah. Explain well, to see, me why, why that's Well, see, why is that funny is, uh, like, a little bit more pointed. So it's like, why is that funny to Not you? Not even – well – No, I know what you're saying, yeah. Is, can you explain that to me? Why can you explain funny? that to me? Yeah. Can you explain that to me? Or, or like, something along those lines. So then you, they make, you make them realize, like – Make them uncomfortable. Exactly. Exactly. Instead of you sitting there like, ha, 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 I'm making, I'm laughing at this joke that I don't agree with. You say, what do you mean by that? And they have to explain their racist, homophobic, transphobic, uh, xenophobic joke of some sort, like for any of that. So this ties back into your topic because we are yelling about the fact that people that were treated differently Mm. were uh, ostracized and put into prison. Prison. They were put into cages. They were forced into these these cells that 20 to 30 people like lived in at a time or more and they were just they were essentially murdered like and you had things ranging from someone who drank too much and then you go to people who actually needed help and needed like supervision and stuff like that and they just assumed they were just fucking crazy and they just needed to have a knife stabbed in their brain like it's depressing sad and it shows us that even as a country this happened in the 1980s up into the 1990s. We are still experiencing, still experiencing the shit. And empathy, I feel like, is a trait that is very hard to come by in the modern in, days. Yes. As well as the past days. People don't often think, how would this feel if I said it to someone else? Mm. And I think that we all need to recognize that and maybe think a little bit more about it. And oh, I, I can even say that I'm guilty of it. Oh, yeah. I'm but you recognize that. About it. You recognize that, and you are looking to to change and fix those things in yourself all the time. That's one thing that, like, I have felt, especially like right now in uh, the today's modern political environment, is like you're always looking to. Uh, you don't know. You don't have all the answers. You're you have obviously, and that's another reason. I know that Thomas has talked about this a lot. It's like cancel culture. I don't think that cancel culture is always like deserved the all the time because some people are always trying to learn and grow from it and bitch you know you've said some racist shit like you know that you've said some some uh homophobic shit i mean i know that i said homophobic shit when i knew i was fucking gay like Same. i used to be like oh look at that faggot over there like and i would talk about the the out gay person when i knew in my heart it's like oh i'm gay and like i'm attacking this gay let me, person let me uh move the the focus exactly over to someone else instead so you know you said all these things acknowledge that learn from it and learn and grow from it don't just sit there and say like don't allow people to make these jokes don't allow yourself to make these jokes fucking take a stand and do something about it you know so and there's ways to do it without being combative like we said it's like can you explain that to me or what do you mean by that you know some uh, along those lines you just have to open a conversation and you have to be ready to defend 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 your points exactly and i mean it shouldn't be about defending your points but where Not we are right now, make is, your make no, your stance. Make, make I mean, your defense stance. is the pro, defense is the problem. Exactly. is that we need to defend these points mm-hmm. now, and and that um, the fact that these things need to be defended is even more of the fact that you need to stand up for that. Mm-hmm. 
because people are so blazen and and uh, sold in their beliefs that you can't tell them, are you sure about that? Yeah. And them have them come forward and say, let me think about it. No, they're sold on it that this is what I've been taught. This is what I know. And I'm not willing to be embarrassed and back down from this Mm -hmm. that I need to tell somebody, you know what? Maybe I was wrong. Yeah, exactly. And that's what, like I see on uh, Twitter all the time because, you know, I'm always on Twitter. Uh, I see the like normalize changing your opinion when you when new facts are, are presented. Realized. Exactly. Like when you when you find out new facts, like normalize changing your opinion. You, you, when you learn something, you don't have to sit there and be backed in a corner and get all pissy about it. You you can say, oh, you can sorry. Always change your mind. I you learned something. Exactly. And so that's what I love whenever people and by love, I mean, hate whenever whenever people are like, oh, well. Hillary Clinton used to hate gay marriage in the 90s. Like, okay, but that was also 30 years ago, mm-hmm. and she's learned new information. So she has, quote, unquote, flip-flopped on her decision to allow gay marriage now because she has made a change, and she has stepped her pussy up to that's, – that's, that was a lot. But yes. <laughs> it's a drag reference. What I'm saying is she has become a better person. Like, she has, she has learned something. She so, has met gay people. Exactly. She's talked to gay people. Exactly. She's, she's – She's evolved as exactly. a person. And so I love, like, especially right now in today's political political climate, people are like, well, Biden was one of the senators that was so in into setting up camp, concentration camps essentially on the border in the 90s. I was like, okay, but this is also 30 years later, and things have obviously changed a lot. So yeah. let's look at the facts now. What is his political stance now? now. I don't give a shit what it was 30 years ago because it's obviously changed and now is what matters. Okay? Let's look at that. Anyways. Anyways. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of... Uh, Ranting. <laughs> aggressive <laughs> talking on our behalf. Mm-hmm. And we are uh, one hour and 48 minutes into this podcast. Love it. So why don't we just wrap it up? Yeah. Bit. Well, I'll wrap it up by liking to... Uh, what I will wrap it up by thanking our sponsors. There we go. <gasps> I love our sponsors. I will thank our sponsor, A Couple of Words. Yes! Uh, that is a freelance talent, talent network that connects professionals with project work. If you're a company that needs help writing job descriptions, conducting marketing analysis, managing your social media platforms, Economy Works has an extensive talent network of freelance professionals ready to help you do more with less. Economy Works. When we work, the, the economy, economy works. works. Find out more about Economy Works at economyworks.com. That's E C O N O M I W O R K S dot com. Oh, yum. Oh, yum. <laughs> economy Works. Yum. <laughs> I love that as well. Um, well, we have ranted a lot. Uh, and it was mostly on topic, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is a, there's a lot of things to talk about. We talk about a lot of things. But also, it's our podcast. And, and not yours. yours. So we plugged ourselves twice. We plugged Let's Talk About Gay Stuff a lot, but seriously this time. Hey. Uh, hey. And then we plugged Economy Works and Baked Bones. Yeah. Woof. Yum. Woof. <laughs> um, we got everything. We got all of our, our topics. We got all the, the plugs. Yeah. Should we um, tell, tell them, them to, to get spoofy, spoofy with it?